Thank you for being here today. We've got a good number and we're grateful for that. We're very thankful for the opportunity to be together today. I do want to mention that we'll be meeting again tonight at 6 p.m. and we would love to have you back here. We will also be meeting for our Wednesday night Bible class right here. And so we'd love to have you. It's great to see people in the pews and not just empty pews. Uh, Jared and I, we've been doing that for a long time, just staring at empty pews, and it's so good to see you here today. We're thankful if you're visiting. As always, we invite you to come back. We're so grateful for the opportunity to have visitors in our midst. We want you to know how much we appreciate you honoring us with your presence here today. We are looking today at Matthew 26, the passage that Jordan read a moment ago, and we're going to be looking at verses 36 through 46. And our theme today, prayer in a time of crisis. When you think about prayer, do you sometimes reflect upon what a privilege it is to go to God in prayer? To have the awesome opportunity to stand in the presence of God and to literally lay bare your soul. Have you ever thought about the power of prayer? You know, James said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Prayer is a privilege. And there is tremendous power in standing in the presence of God in prayer. When you look at the life of Jesus, there are probably a lot of things that come to mind. As you begin to research His life and His ministry, the things that He did, there are a number of interesting things about His life that are worthy of our emulation. But one of the things that really stands out about the life of Jesus is His prayer life. There are about 14 occurrences recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the prayers of Jesus. He spent a lot of time in prayer to the Father. And if He spent a lot of time in prayer to the Father, what then should that say to us? That we ought to spend probably more time in prayer than we do. In Matthew chapter 26, we have one of the dark hours, not just in the life of Jesus, but in the history of the world. Jesus, as you well know, has been making preparation for the cross. And so in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36, Jesus recognizes that the cross is near. And so, with that in mind, He goes to the Mount of Olives, to a garden. And the text tells us, there He prayed. I want to begin our study today by talking, first of all, about the Lord's decision to go to Gethsemane. What about the place where Jesus went to pray? 
First and foremost, I think about the fact that it was a selected place. Of all of the places that Jesus could have chosen to pray about the impending cross, He chose a garden. The Garden of Gethsemane. Which lay at the bottom of the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley. And here Jesus went to pray. Is there a specific place that you go to pray when you're facing crisis in your life? Is it your study? Your den? Your bedroom? Maybe you just get in your automobile and drive up and down the highway praying to God. Not only was it a selective place, but it was a special place. In Luke's account in chapter 22, Luke says that they came to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed to do. This was a special place to Jesus. And I would assume, based on what Luke said, the Lord spent a lot of time in the garden. And I would have no doubt that He spent a lot of time there praying. There's something about having a specific place and a special place where you can go to pray to the Father when you are dealing with crisis in your life. And listen, we all face various crises in life, don't we? There are times in life when maybe we're looking to get a grip on what we're dealing with. And maybe we don't necessarily understand the circumstances. And maybe it is that the situation that we're faced with seems out of control. And so we're looking for that place to go, to pray. The Lord Jesus made a very deliberate decision to pray in the garden. And then, of course, I think about the people that went with Jesus to pray in the garden. Now note, if you would, what the text says. In verse 36, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Some of the disciples sat outside the entrance to the Garden of Gethsemane. But then there were some very special disciples that made their way into the garden with Jesus. Listen to what he said, verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the sons, or the two sons of Zebedee. And to be sorrowful. Let me just pause here for a minute. So you've got 12 apostles, 12 disciples. Out of those 12, Jesus selected three men to accompany Him into the garden. In your life, when you're facing tough times and crises in your life, are there some selected people that you go to that can share in your distress or in your agony? Now, you know, many of us, we're very private. And I understand we don't want to air our dirty laundry out in public. 
But there is something to be said about having some allies in tough times. Peter, James, and John formed a very close companionship to Jesus. They were what might be said His inner circle. You remember back in Matthew 17 when Jesus went up on the mountain and was transfigured in the presence of Peter, James, and John. And God the Father spoke out on that occasion and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. To think that they had the opportunity to not only be in the presence of God, but also Moses and Elijah. And here Jesus is coming to the close of His earthly ministry and He chooses these men to enter the garden with Him and to pray and to watch with Him. There is a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, the Lord's decision to pray in the garden. But secondly, we have the Lord's detailed prayers in the garden. I want to begin, as you look with me at Matthew chapter 26, first of all, think about the specifics of His prayers. In verse 38, the Bible says that Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was passionate in His plea to the Father about His impending suffering on the cross. Now just imagine Jesus struggling with the weight of the cross. Now we talk about Him being fully man and fully God. The human side of Jesus was battling the cross that lay before Him. And He was extremely passionate in invoking His Father in prayer. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew writer said, who in the days of His flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard in that He feared. So here is Jesus. He is passionately praying to the Father. But not only is He passionately praying to the Father, but Matthew and the other writers indicate that He persistently prayed about the impending suffering that lay before Him. Note again the text. He prays to the Father, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Not as I will, but as you will. In verse 42, a second time he says, O oh, my Father, 
If this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 44. He went away again and prayed the third time. Jesus practiced what He preached, didn't He? You remember in Luke 18 when Jesus taught that men ought to always pray and not faint or grow discouraged? And He talked about a parable. He set forth a parable about a widow who went before the judge and made a request. And she was very persistent. And the judge relented. What was He teaching there? The persistence of prayer. Jesus would say, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. And the idea is, you keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking. So here's Jesus, passionately and persistently praying about that cup of suffering that lay before Him. So first, the specifics of His prayer, but then secondly, the submissiveness of His prayers. Look again. The text says that Jesus pled with the Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Let me just pause there for a minute. Did Jesus know something about the purpose of the cross? In other words, was He mindful of the hour? Yes, He was. Just a few days earlier, John said that Jesus on one occasion said, Father, save me from this hour. Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But then He said, but for this purpose have I come to this hour. Jesus knew about the cross. He knew what lay before Him. He understood the cup of suffering that He was about to drink. The horrific ordeal of the cross. Peter said that He suffered for us in 1 Peter chapter 2. He went on to say that He bore our sins in His body. Jesus suffered immensely on the cross. There was not just the physical trauma associated with the cross. But what about the emotional trauma? And then you think about the spiritual trauma. The fact that Jesus is about to bear the sin of the world. He understood the purpose of the cross. But He also understood the power of the cross. The Hebrew writer makes an interesting statement in chapter 12. He talks about those of us who belong to the family of God, running with endurance or patience the race set before us. And he said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, that is an amazing statement. That Jesus went to the cross with joy. Well, why? Do you remember what He said in John chapter 12, verse 31? Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto Myself. He knew something about the power of the cross. Because it would be on the cross that redemption would be effected. 
through the shedding of His blood. It would be the cross that would affect reconciliation in His body. And so Jesus is praying to the Father, and He is struggling. The weight of the cross is heavy. He has asked Peter, James, and John to accompany Him, to serve as allies with Him in the Garden of Gethsemane as He prays to the Father. Are there not times in our life when we're praying about a crisis, we're we're praying about some difficult time in our life? Is it not also the case that there are times in life when we ask the haunting question that rang forth from the cross, why? Don't we ever struggle with that? And here's Jesus. He is struggling with the cross. And He's saying, Father, if there's any other way that Your will can be accomplished, then please let Your will come to pass. Well, John said he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This was God's plan. Golgotha was in the future of Jesus. There would be no turning back. And so Jesus is in the garden and he is battling the cross. Let's think now in the third place for just a moment about the Lord's distress in the garden. I want to begin by talking about the burden of Jesus. Look again at verse 37. The Bible says that Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, or rather that He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed Here we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, agonizing. I think about the intensity, the intensity of the distress and the immensity of the distress. Look, the weight of the world is on His shoulders, isn't it? I mean, you go all the way back to Adam. Here is Jesus dying for the sins of the world. No wonder the Hebrew writer said that he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him who was able to save him from death. Jesus knew something about the intensity of the cross, the immensity of the cross. He knew about the ordeal of Golgotha, what was before him. And he is praying to the Father. You know, Luke said in his account, and being in agony, he prayed more fervently. How often in life, when things seem to be going awry, when the train has gotten off the tracks, do we find ourselves digging deeper and praying more fervently to God, invoking His help, requesting His comforting hand. And so Jesus is praying to the Father. But then I think about the battle of Jesus. And you need to understand, Jesus Christ is battling the weight of the cross. He talks about this cup, the cup of suffering. 
There are two things I want you to see. Number one, Jesus was tactical in His approach to the cross. Now, He's battling. We talk about the battle of Jesus. He is battling the cross where? On His knees, isn't He? I mean, Jesus is on His knees praying to the Father. The fact that He went to the garden and that He prayed so fervently says to me that tactically speaking, this is how He was going to accomplish the Father's will. He was going to do it by immersing Himself in prayer. So if the Lord Jesus faced difficult times, rocky road, a rocky road, in prayer, what then does that say to us? Don't you think we need to have a battle plan? Don't you think that when the bottom falls out of life, don't you think that we need to be very tactical just as Jesus was? Got to have a plan in place? That we're not caught off guard? Now, you go back and you look at the life of Jesus. And you see Jesus praying early in the morning. You see Him spending the night in prayer to God, retreating to the wilderness, praying. Over and over again, what do you see Jesus doing? Praying. This is not something out of the ordinary. This is common to His life, isn't it? And didn't Paul say, pray without ceasing? What are you saying, Paul? Paul's saying we need to spend time in prayer every day. It needs to be a part of life, doesn't it? As David said, evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud to know that we're going before God praying that when we are fighting for our so-called lives, that we do so battling what we're up against as Jesus did, tactically, praying to the Father. So not only, what, not only do we read about the fact that Jesus was tactical, in his prayers, but he was triumphant, wasn't he? Listen again to the text. The text says in verse, again, verse 38, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went out a little further, fell on his face, and prays, O oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. He came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Let me just pause there. You think Jesus was disappointed in Peter, James, and John? The text doesn't say it. What did he need on that occasion? He needed an ally, didn't he? Jesus needed somebody or he wanted these men to watch and to pray with him. But out of human weakness, they slept. But know what the text says. Jesus 
says, Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. He would be betrayed by Judas Iscariot, one of his own. And so in verse 46, Rise, let us be going. See, he who betrays me is at hand. Jesus is more than ready for the battle. Now why was that? Because he had been praying. This was the very hour for which he had come into the world to save the human family. Now I want you to think about something for a minute. That has been how long ago? 2,000 years? 2,000 years. 20 centuries have come and gone since Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But as He prayed, He prayed with you in mind. Did you know that? Because what He did 2,000 years ago is what makes it possible for us today to be redeemed by the blood of Christ, doesn't it? Didn't Paul say that it's in Him that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Listen to what the angel said, speaking of Jesus. He shall save His people from their sins. Jesus was willing to go to Golgotha because of us. Now what does that say about His love? What does that say about His desire for us? Didn't Paul say God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? Didn't Peter say that God is not willing, listen to him, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? You know, when we talk about salvation, maybe we don't understand we have an amazing treasure available to us. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus talked about that pearl of great price or that hidden treasure. Imagine knowing that you had, imagine knowing that you had several million dollars that you could have access to if only you would take the initiative. Well, what we're talking about is far more valuable than money and material goods. We're talking about salvation. What's really sad about the cross is this, that there are some folks in the past who didn't realize the treasure that they had in Christ didn't realize the riches that are available in Christ, and they never obeyed the gospel. They left those blessings, as we say, on the table. You might be here today and you're not a Christian. Those blessings are available. And you've got to decide whether or not you're going to avail yourself of those blessings or if you will, as we say, leave them on the table. That choice is yours. It's all about making choices and what we want to do is make the right choice in life. So if you're not a Christian, here's what you need to do. Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll perish, Luke 13, 3. Jesus said, 
that we are to confess Him before men. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. So why do we put our faith in Jesus? Because He said, without faith it's impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. We've got to come to believe that He's the Son of God. We've got to repent because He said we need to. We confess Him because, again, that's what the Lord said to do. We're baptized into Christ because, again, that's what the Lord said to do. And when we're baptized into Christ, we contact the blood of Christ. And we enjoy reconciliation in the body of Christ. So maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. I'd encourage you to think long and hard about where you are spiritually. If you're not in Christ, why not make today the day that you become a child of God? That you do as Jesus said, that you enjoy the blessings of salvation. Because Jesus went to the cross with you in mind. If you're here today and maybe you're not faithful to His cause, you're not living for Him day in and day out, you need to be restored. Look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And we have the assurance that God will abundantly pardon 1 John 1 verse 9. Won't you come as we stand and sing?